This is Johnny, co-host of your new favorite podcast. Hey, listen, it's taking us a little while to get episode four completed. Uh, We've just had some things happen in our personal life where we need to be with our family and show our support. So it might be a little bit delayed. Sorry, it's not coming out as soon as we had hoped, but I wanted to give you a little morsel to tide you over. Now, I am live on the scene, so if you hear talking and traffic and so forth, it's because I'm out in the wilds of Eugene. About 15 years ago, I took my grandmother, who is now passed, God rest her, to a cardiac appointment. I think it was an angiogram, but I can't remember exactly. I just knew that it was a lengthy procedure, and so I had a lot of time to kill in the waiting room. I'm an avid reader, so I always bring a book with me, but for whatever reason, the book that I brought at that time was not really grabbing me. There was an older gentleman sitting in the waiting room as well, a couple of chairs down, and he had a little cute dog with him, a little, I don't know, poodle, chihuahua, something, a little little scrappy dog, very cute though. So we struck up a conversation and told him his dog was cute. We just got to chatting, exchanging who we were taking care of, et cetera. For this gentleman, it was his wife, and for me, of course, it was my grandmother. He was an affable fellow, so we just fell into a nice conversation. He indicated that he and his wife had relocated to Coos Bay, Oregon, and they really enjoyed it. So, of course, I asked, well, where did you move from? He said the Bay Area, California. I said, oh, how wonderful. I had family when I was growing up that lived in the Bay Area, Antioch to be precise. Oh, yeah, I know it well. We were in San Francisco. I'm like, ah, the city. And then I say, well, what kind of uh, work did you do? He, he had indicated to me he was retired. He said, oh, I was a police officer. Now, I don't know why. I have no idea what possessed me to ask the next question. I turned to him and looked him dead in the eye and said, oh, yeah? Did you ever work on the Zodiac killings at all? This man, his, his entire face changed. It went from affable waiting room conversation to complete skeptic and a little bit disgusted. He looked at me, cocked his head and said, lady, are you a reporter? And I said, what? No, I'm not a reporter. At the time, I was actually a parole officer. That was another lifetime ago. And I wasn't even technically living in Oregon. I had taken time off work to take care of my grams. So I explained this to him. He was still skeptical. He kept asking, are you writing a story? Are you trying to interview me? I said, no, I'm not. And I said, if you'd rather not talk, that's okay too. And he said, no, I just, well, I was definitely involved with the Zodiac investigation. I said, okay, um, well, do you want to talk about it? He took a few moments to mull it over. I thought he was going to say no and tell me to mind my business and shut my trap or something like that. So I just kind of got my book out again. I thought that's fair enough. I don't want to engage him in conversation that might be uncomfortable for him. Maybe he has a lot of bad memories. He finally said, you're sure you're not a reporter? I said, yeah, pretty sure. He said, okay, well, I was involved. All right. I was a rookie. I was the person that responded to the call. And I'm thinking the call. He said, remember after that taxi driver was shot, it was reported that it was a black man that that was a suspect had committed the crimes. He said, I'm a rookie. I'm all fired up. I park my police unit and I'm running. And this is in the Presidio district. He's running up the street to the location where where the shooting occurred. He said he passes a heavier set, middle-aged white man wearing engineer boots. And the man says, the guy you want, the black guy, he's that way pointing up the street. 
this rookie cop named Donald Fuke, I believe that's F-O-U-K-E, uh, said that he looked at the man and then continued running. I asked Mr. Fuke if he remembered what the man looked like to this day. And he said, lady, that face is seared in my mind. Donald did become a sergeant with the San Francisco Police Department, and he had a long career as, as a police officer. You know, we just had like maybe a 20 minute conversation in a waiting room, but I never forgot that conversation either. Mr. Fuchs said that he and his wife were very happy to live in beautiful Coos Bay, Oregon, away from reporters and people wanting information about Zodiac. He said that a couple of times people have found him in Coos Bay and he said he just really doesn't feel like talking about it anymore. But for whatever reason, he felt like talking to me. Maybe it was because I worked in law enforcement adjacent at that, adjacent rather at that time as a parole officer. In any case, it was a nice conversation. It really passed the time. And I was just so fascinated. Whenever we talk about Zodiac and I say question mark or we say, was Zodiac real? Raj is going to give you a lot of information as to why we're skeptical about an actual Zodiac serial killer. Now, was there somebody calling themselves Zodiac, taunting people with these really crazy stories published in newspapers? Maybe. Still terrifying. Still scary. I'm, I'm not trying to say that it's not scary. It, it certainly is. Also, I have no idea if Mr. Fuke is still living or not. I hope he is, and I hope he is still enjoying beautiful Coos Bay, Oregon, and his retirement and his family. I wish you all the best, and thank you for taking that time to talk to me when I was kind of asking an offhanded question. Thank you so much for listening to Oregon Podcast. Johnny, signing off for now, but I'll be back soon. Thank you for that report, Johnny. That was a super interesting story, and I know you've told it to me before, but it was great to hear it again. live well not really live but live for me from our secret headquarters which is situated in the cone of a dormant volcano well at least i hope it's dormant i looked into donald fook from san francisco police department and unfortunately he did pass at 80 years old in 2020 still living in coos bay they must have really loved it down there I'm going to give you a brief overview of the Zodiac killings, and I'm putting Zodiac killings in air quotes here. There are four killings that are ascribed to him, and then somewhere between 30 and a million other killings that are possibly thought to be related to him. 
The first killing is called the Lake Herman Road Killings, and that was in Benicia, California, north of San Francisco. Lake Herman Road was apparently a lover's lane type spot, and David Arthur Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, 17 years old and 16 years old respectively, were shot. That crime was perpetrated on December 20th of 1968. David was shot in the head, he was apparently half hanging outside of the vehicle, and Betty Lou was shot five times in the back. She was outside of the vehicle a good number of feet away. It's thought that perhaps Zodiac, if he even exists, pulled up in a vehicle next to them and ordered them out of the vehicle and then shot David before he could even get out of the vehicle fully. And then Betty Lou, of course, was able to make a break for it, but unfortunately was not able to be successful in that. These killings were perpetrated using a 22 long rifle semi-automatic pistol. Now you may hear this and say, wait, what does that mean? Long rifle pistol? What? Here's the thing. 22 long rifle is a cartridge or bullet caliber. I would assume it was initially designed for rifles, but there are many, many pistols that also use this same caliber. It's still called 22 long rifle, just commonly known as a 22. There were shell casings found at the scene, and that's how they determined it was a 22. The fact that there were shell casings at the scene suggests that it wasn't a revolver, since a revolver keeps the shell casings within the cylinder and a semi-automatic pistol ejects the shell casings. Of course, it, it's possible that it could have been a revolver and then he dumped the shell casings on the ground. All the reports listed as 22 pistols, so that suggests maybe based on where the casings were located, there was some sort of ejection pattern or something like that to suggest that it was more of a pistol instead of a revolver. Our second crime attributed to Zodiac happened almost seven months later on July 4th, 1969 at Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, California, which is, I believe, approximately less than 10 miles away from the site of the first killing, the Lake Herman Road killings. In this crime, the uh, perpetrator appeared to have shot the couple from the passenger side. This was Darlene Farron and also Michael Maju, I believe is how it's pronounced, but I am not sure on that. It was Darlene's car. She was in the driver's seat and Maju was in the passenger seat. Apparently, the uh, killer shot five times through the passenger side with many of the bullets passing through Michael and lodging in Darlene. Also, apparently, he walked away and then returned and shot each of them twice again. Before shooting, the killer had also blinded them with a flashlight by shining it in both of their eyes. Darlene was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. Michael, shockingly, survived. Michael described the killer as being 26 to 30 years old, white, male, 195 to 200 pounds, or possibly a little bit more, short, light, brown, curly hair, and approximately 5 foot 8. Interestingly, Michael also reported that the killer had initially pulled up beside them in a vehicle, left, and then came back five or so minutes later parking behind them. 
this crime was perpetrated using a 9mm pistol. In a lot of the reports, it is listed as a 9mm Luger, which raises confusion, to me at least, because 9mm Luger is the name of a cartridge, like 22 long rifle, but there is also a gun called a Luger, which was made in 9mm. That was a World War II or thereabouts German gun. It's possible that Zodiac had one of those. It's also possible he had a more modern, at the time, firearm that was in 9mm Luger, also just commonly known as 9mm. The strange thing about this crime is approximately 45 minutes later, the Vallejo Police Department received a phone call taking credit for the murder of Michael and Darlene and also taking credit for the murder of David and Betty Lou from six and a half months ago. That phone call was made from a phone booth at a gas station, which was approximately an eight to 10 minute drive away from Blue Rock Springs. So there's some unaccounted time there. After the Blue Rock Springs murder, local newspapers started getting letters that may be related to Zodiac. We're not gonna talk about the letters. The third killing, commonly known as the Lake Berryessa killing, happened about two and a half months later on September 27, 1969. This was two people named Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, a young couple that was picnicking at Lake Berryessa. They were not in a vehicle, they were picnicking, presumably, in my mind at least, they got a blanket set out, a little wicker picnic basket, perhaps a bottle of wine or something. Brian Hartnell, who survived the attack, stated that somebody came up and showed them a gun. Brian thought perhaps it was a 45 caliber pistol, but there's also reports that it may have been a 9mm caliber pistol that just looked like a 45. Weirdly, even though he showed them a gun, he did not use it. He had brought pre-cut lengths of some sort of binding material, cord of some sort, and instructed Cecilia to tie up Brian and then he tied up Cecilia. He also checked the bindings on Brian, found that they were loose, and then tightened them. Oh, I should also mention, he was wearing an executioner-style hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes, and then some sort of upper chest bib structure that had the crosshairs, cross-circle symbol that we all affiliate with Zodiac. The bib was dark in color, brown or black, the symbol was white and was approximately three inches by three inches. He also talked to them. He told them that he was an escaped convict from a prison. Apparently he also named the prison, but Brian Hartnell could not remember. He said it was a two word name and he thought it was from either Colorado or Montana. It's thought perhaps it was Deer Lodge Penitentiary in Montana. The killer told them he had killed a guard and subsequently stolen a vehicle and then needed their vehicle because his vehicle was stolen, of course, and he wanted to get to Mexico. So after they were bound, instead of using that gun that he brandished, he repeatedly stabbed them with a large knife, maybe a hunting knife or something like that. Cecilia ended up dying in the hospital a few days later. Brian miraculously survived the attack. The killer then went back up to their vehicle. I have to assume that they had pointed out which one was their vehicle. 
and instead of taking it like he said he was going to do, he drew the zodiac symbol on it in black felt-tip pen. In my head, it's a Sharpie, but Sharpies aren't... Are they felt-tip? I don't even know. And then also wrote below it, Vallejo, 122068, 7469, Sept 2769, 6,30, by knife. So, of course, Vallejo is where the second attack occurred, and it is pretty close to where the first attack occurred, maybe 7 to 10 miles away. But Lake Berryessa, which is where this third attack occurred, is a good 45 or 50 miles away. So keeping that under the heading of Vallejo seems weird to me. Once again, like the last attack, the police, the Napa County Sheriff's Department, received a phone call from a payphone stating that he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, and then explaining that he had killed the folks at Lake Berryessa. This was 27 miles from the crime scene. If 6.30 was the time of the attack and this phone call happened at 7.40, he had a good hour plus to get there. They also apparently got a palm print from that phone, but they were never able to match it with any suspect. Shepard, even after having been stabbed, was able to give a good detailed description of the assailant approximately 5 foot 11, white male, weighing more than 170 pounds. So fairly close in description to the Blue Rock Springs murder. Two weeks later, one block west of Union Square in downtown San Francisco, a white male got into a taxi driven by Paul Stein and requested to go to Presidio Heights, Washington and Maple Streets. Stein went there and in fact, for unknown reasons, went one block further. When he got there, at 9.55pm, he was shot in the head with a 9mm handgun by the passenger. This was actually witnessed by three teenagers who called into the police with a contemporaneous description. The teenager said 25 to 30 years old, crew cut, 5 foot 8, 5 foot 9 perhaps. This passenger also took Stein's wallet and car keys and ripped off part of Paul Stein's shirt tail, which had blood on it. The teenagers also saw the killer wiping down the cab before heading on foot. And this is where Johnny's story comes in. The teenagers called it in. It, of course, went out over the dispatch radio, and Don Fook and his partner Eric Zelms were only two blocks away, so they responded to the call. They observed a white male walking along the sidewalk on Jackson Street and stepping into a stairway leading into a residential home. Don Fook later estimated him to be 35 to 45 years old, approximately 5'10", with a crew cut, which is fairly close to what the teenagers had described, but maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit taller. Here's the problem. When the call went out over dispatch, the call was put out for a black male suspect. So these two officers did not even really look at this gentleman at all because he did not meet the obvious criteria of skin color. Here's the second problem with the story that Mr. Fook told Johnny. It's unclear exactly what kind of interaction the two patrol officers had with this unknown white gentleman because the stories, even given by Don Fook, varied over time. I cannot find any report where he had a 
verbal interaction with the unknown white male, but in various accounts he either said he saw the person going up a staircase. Picture the row houses like you saw in the opening scenes of Full House. There's usually a six to ten step set of stairs from the street level to get up to the entry door level. That's what I imagine that they're trying to describe. However, a month later, Don Fook submitted a police report to the police department concerning this interaction. I'd like to read it to you. Sir, I respectfully wish to report the following, that while responding to the area of Cherry and Washington Streets, a suspect fitting the description of the Zodiac Killer was observed by Officer Fook walking in an easterly direction on Jackson Street and then turned north on Maple Street. This subject was not stopped as the description received from communications was that of a Negro male. When the right description was broadcast, reporting officer informed communications that a possible suspect had been seen going north on Maple Street into the Presidio, the area of Julius Kahn Playground, and a search was started which had negative results. The suspect that was observed by Officer Fook was a white male, 35 to 45 years old, about 5'10", 180 to 200 pounds, medium heavy build, barrel chested, medium complexion, light colored hair, possibly graying in rear. Parentheses may have been lighting that caused this effect. Close parentheses. Crew cut, wearing glasses. Dressed in dark blue waist-length zipper-type jacket, navy or royal blue, elastic cuffs, and waistband zipped partway up. Brown wool pants, pleated-type baggy in rear, rust brown. May have been wearing low-cut shoes. Subject at no time appeared to be in a hurry, walked with a shuffling lope, slightly bent forward, head down. The subject's general appearance to classify him as a group would be that he might be of Welsh ancestry. My partner that night was Officer Zelms of Richmond Station. I do not know if he observed this subject or not. Respectfully submitted Don Fook, Patrolman, badge number 847. This was submitted on Wednesday, November 12th of 1969, over a month afterwards. There's some glaring differences in this report as to the other initial report. Was he going into a house or was he going just up the street towards a park in the Presidio? There's also later reports describing that he was wearing wing walker type boots, which if you Google it, looks very much like the typical lace-up tall boots that you see military personnel wearing. Whereas what Mr. Fook told Johnny was engineer style boots, which picture black Harley Davidson boots with no zipper or anything like that. And then let's get back to Mr. Fook's story. The story he told Johnny was very compelling, and it likely is a story that he believes to be true. However, we all know that memory is not the videotape recording that we think it is. Memory gets constantly overwritten, it gets constantly amended. Things that you don't remember get put into your memory if you see it enough times in pop culture, etc. So the story he told at the time, the story he told a month later in the official police report, and the story he told Johnny 40 years later, 
are all evolutions of a story. The question is, how much of it is true at each of those given points and what things have changed? So this is where it leaves us. Four killings thought to be Zodiac related. Two of them have the Zodiac symbol, the last two. Zodiac does actually send a letter that has a piece of Paul Stein's blood-stained shirt in it, and the letter does have the Zodiac symbol on it. Two of them are perpetrated with a 9mm handgun of some sort, the second and the fourth. There may have been a 9mm handgun at the third crime, although it was never used, but it also could have been a 45. And the first killing was a completely different caliber, and generally not a caliber that's going to get confused with other ones. I know these killings happened, but I can't say that there's any definitive proof that they were all done by the same person. The MO seems to change. Gunshot, gunshot, then stabbing, and then gunshot. The first three are lover's lane slash couples type killings. The last one is a taxi driver. The first three are in somewhat remote areas. The last one is in downtown San Francisco. It seems odd to me that these would all be by the same person. The descriptions that people give seem to be fairly similar, however, so, you know, it's possible that it is. This far removed from the crimes, I don't know that we're ever going to know the answer. If you have a lot of free time, there are plenty of rabbit holes to go down with regards to this. We didn't even talk about any of the ciphers, we didn't talk about the letters, we didn't talk about the map with the crosshairs on it, we didn't talk about potential suspects, we didn't talk about any of that because honestly you don't want to listen to a 15 hour long podcast with me just rambling. Heck, this one is long enough for what's essentially a mini episode interlude while we uh, try and take care of other business before getting to the actual episode we were supposed to do. Johnny here, horning back in. I just listened to Roger's assessment of Zodiac, and I have a lot to say. First of all, (laughs) great job, Rog. Great job on presenting the information, the facts, excellently presented. Here's the deal. I've been thinking about this. See, Raj and I are not currently uh, in the same spot uh, geographically right now. So we're kind of doing a little tag team. Tag, I'm it. I'm sitting in my car. I'm at the Willamette Grange off of Highway 99 and Greenberry Road. So I just listened to Raj's contribution. It's great, but I have a few counterpoints I wanted to present. First of all, my memory's not great. I just turned 50. I don't know. I probably forgot a lot of things. And maybe I'm adding a few tidbits to Mr. Fuchs' story as well. But I will say this. He seemed very convinced that he had seen the Zodiac Killer. When you talk to somebody for a living, as I pretty much do, you get to read people pretty well. After 20 plus years in human services, you get to know if somebody's putting you on or not. Whether Sergeant Fuchs' memory evolved over time, I think that's okay because... When our bodies are in distress, our cortisol levels are high, we're going through some sort of trauma or some sort of event, everything's elevated. Cortisol levels are skyrocketing, and sometimes you can even lose IQ points when you're really triggered or in a, an aroused state, so to speak. 
Sometimes trauma, in fact, will prevent neurotransmitters from connecting and actually impressing memory. My theory, and I'm no neuropsychologist, but I do know a thing or two about psychology, is at the time we're in an elevated state, we're aroused in some way, everything's heightened. You're, maybe you're triggered, maybe you're hypervigilant. It's like everything is just all systems go. When your body is not in that state and you're allowed to relax a little bit and your hormone levels and cortisol levels and everything returns to a baseline function, I think it's definitely possible for your brain to retrieve some memories that initially you couldn't call up right away. I don't have any technical terms for this. As I'm just sitting in my car right now, I don't have my DSM in front of me or any of that business where I could give you a a perfectly beautiful (laughs) peer-reviewed lesson here. I've worked with people where they are recalling a memory or some traumatic event and they'll suddenly have new information and maybe it's ever so nuanced. Maybe it's just the slightest thing. They were wearing a blue shirt instead of a green shirt. It was raining that day instead of sunny. And maybe it doesn't seem like a lot of information, but to them it is because they're recalling things. They're having an actual memory. Who knows when we're under duress what we're actually remembering. The subconscious is a beautifully fascinating thing. I'm not saying I believe in repressed memory therapy that's been debunked and thankfully is no longer being used. I mean, it did kind of kick off the satanic panic, which was a horrendous time in our history. Look it up. Michelle remembers. What a crock. Any psychiatrist that marries their own patient, unethical. Their license should be revoked immediately. I feel very strongly about this. Back to the issue at hand. I'm saying maybe Mr. Fook, as a rookie cop, running towards the scene where there had just been a murder, all he gets over dispatch is a black male. He sees apparently a Welsh man. I mean, that's oddly specific. Kind of easing down, lackadaisically wandering down the street. He's not immediately going to pay attention to him. In his mind, he's fixed on suspect with gun, black male. For him to even take a gander at perhaps a Zodiac killer, his brain is taking in information at the time that he's not really aware of consciously. Again, this is subconscious. So the fact that he was able to tell me his his face is seared in my mind, he was wearing engineer boots, means that there was something going on in his thinking process that at the moment he wasn't able to immediately recall. But after returning to baseline and thinking it over, I mean, there's a great saying, let me jog your memory for you. There are things I remember that people in my family don't recall whatsoever. My dad the other day informed me I was a massive UB40 fan when I was like 11 or 12. I don't remember that. But then you start thinking about things. Oh yeah, I did like the song Red Red Wine. In any case, it's okay for people to access memory and have a little more nuanced information. I'm not saying that they that it's the most accurate. I'm also saying it's not the least accurate. It's just new information coming to play. Again, I love my husband very much. He's a smart fella, but I'm going to push back a little bit because this is sort of my wheelhouse. I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit here, even if it really sounds like rambling. The rambling of a woman who's had too much caffeine and is sitting in a parking lot. Do the research for yourself. I think that our bodies, while under duress, are quite different and our capabilities to impress memories than when we are at a baseline level. Check it out. That's all I got to say. We're going to get episode four about Dwayne Edward Faulkman. 
We're calling it the Lost Boy of Lincoln City, and there is so much to tell. Take good care, don't take any wooden nickels, and be careful. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Podcast, this mini-episode talking about the Zodiac Killer, or perhaps we can call it a field trip to the San Francisco Bay Area. Stay tuned. Some housekeeping notes. Podcast written by Johnny, edited, mixed, and mastered, if you can call it that, by me. Music by Sound Bay. Original piece is called Danger Everywhere. Used under Creative Commons license. Remixed and edited by me. Podcast thumbnail adapted from an original photograph by A Camphor taken from Wikimedia Commons also used under a Creative Commons license.